0: Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the latest installment of Maritime Madness Stories of Terrors on the Sea. Today, we hear the story of Caden Bosch. Neil Schusterman tells the story of seamen and sea monsters of trauma and toils through the lens of Caden Bosch, and now his experience, his education is what enabled him to survive. When examining the novel, it's best to start with the main character and narrator, Kaden Bosch. He's a 15-year-old high school student who has a troubling experience with schizophrenia, who suffers from schizophrenia, and throughout the novel makes a ascent into the deepest point in the ocean, and the deepest point of mental illness, Challenger Deep. At the beginning of the novel, he lives with his sister and parents and has a relatively normal life, but begins to show signs of mental illness. Aside from his illness, he is remarkably general and vague, rarely described physically. He's a faceless character and Caden becomes detached from reality and from the relationships he had and soon becomes physically ill, unable to sleep and feverish. He describes it as, I'm not entirely in myself. The novel has a unique structure wherein it has two parallel storylines, both narrated by Caden Bosch. One plotline follows Caden's recovery in the, quote, real world, while the other consists entirely of his delusion, that of a ship and crew headed to Challenger Deep. The exposition in the real world is essentially all the time that Caden is living at home, going to school, and is barely touched by his illness. The inciting moment seems to be when Caden begins to act like he isn't himself, and his symptoms become too much to handle. The novel is crafted to be a very, very slow burn, and a slow descent into madness, and I feel that it's very, very intentional. It's a clear allusion to the more symbolic meaning of a descent into mental illness itself, something that you can't stop because you don't even know it's happening at points. A descent into the deepest and darkest point of one's mind. Keeping this in mind is critical when examining other elements of the novel, because this parallel structure is present in every single other element of the novel. In all honesty, the best way to get a sense of the novel as a whole is to start with the conflict, and it's a really, really good place to start because it's, it was kind of tricky to analyze. That's because I wasn't sure how to characterize struggles with mental health. Are they character versus self? Character versus Character. Or even character versus fate. You know, there are a lot of times in the novel where it seems like it could be any of these. Character versus self is certainly an option, as Caden describes his delusions while institutionalized, and and describes them as hearing voices and having severe intrusive thoughts, which can be interpreted almost as character versus self. Character versus character is most obviously seen while on the ship. Caden invents this character, the captain invents the abyssal serpent, and describes them as other characters to the reader. At the end of the novel, though, Caden fully accepts the likelihood that his struggle will return and will be unending. Quote, he will always be waiting, I realize. He will never go away. And in time, I may find myself his first mate, whether I want to or not, journeying to points exotic so that I may make another dive And another, and another. And maybe one day I'll dive so deep that the abyssal serpent will catch me, and I'll never find my way back. No sense in denying that such things happen. This quote indicates that Caden is accepting the inevitability of the return of his illness, and that he will never truly escape it. Aside from this, he even supposes that he was predestined to experience this from the moment he was born. And this leads me to believe that Schusterman intends to convey a conflict that is very obviously character versus fate. This revelation of Cadence also got me thinking about what other elements in this novel are constant. What is constantly there impacting the decisions of characters and the plot? And one of the biggest things I picked out was the ship itself. As the other setting, the real world jumps from home to school to the hospital and beyond, the ship remains constant, and it is the one aspect of setting that, for most of the novel, remains unchanged, and that's why I felt that it was really important to analyze it at the beginning and analyze it completely in depth. It is entirely a figment of Caden's mind, fueled by the schizophrenic delusions he develops throughout the book. Aside from that, it does not even contact the real world very often, different characters and motifs have the real-world counterparts, and there is some overlap, but the two plots only come together at one critical point, the climax. The ship itself is made of wood, and Caden describes the pitch which holds it together as organic and alive. Marine putrefaction, or rot, furthering the conclusion that this is within Caden's mind, that the ship itself is as alive as he is. It furthers the point that these delusions and this illness are very much real and true. It is a mind palace of sorts, where figments of his imagination live and die. During chapter 31, Caden's mother asks him a penny for his thoughts. And this sends Caden on a bit of a rant about how much pennies, and by proxy, thoughts, are actually worth. Quote, if pennies become worthless, does that devalue our thoughts to less than nothing? It makes me sad to think about it. Billions of copper bits spinning down the red funnel into oblivion. I wonder where they'll go. All those thoughts have to end up somewhere. Shortly after, the ship itself turns to copper and begins to rust green. And this cements the idea that the ship is a figment of Caden's mind because it is made of the same stuff as thoughts. As Caden contemplates the worth of one's thoughts being far less than a penny, his prison of a ship is further cemented as merely thoughts. Naturally, the other setting in this book is the real world. And... The book opens with Caden living at home, surrounded by his family and friends and living a normal life. It's remarkably unremarkable and is, for the most part, calm and quiet up until Caden's symptoms begin to worsen. He roams the streets. He pretends to be on the track team so that he can just walk and keep moving. And he is eventually institutionalized in a hospital housing other children other children who are suffering from severe mental illness. This institution is plain, drab, and allows Caden and his character to truly flourish. I believe that the setting itself was described very little to allow the other characters to develop and grow, and to see the parallels between the ship and the hospital. And I believe that this was a very intentional choice that Tristerman made. and. It really allowed Caden's character to develop and grow, and to be completely fleshed out as it is, because he is a very dynamic and very very round character. The captain is the only human-like character who does not seem to have a consistent partner or counterpart outside of Caden's mind, at least until the end of the novel. He's the cruel, frightening, and dishonest ruler of the ship, who is in charge of sailing it to the deepest point on Earth. You know, looking back, this immediately should have set off alarm bells in my mind concerning the virtue of the captain. Because his mere role signals that he is not virtuous, because his job is to take the ship and everyone on it as deep as they can go. The captain is the one calling the shots for the majority of the novel, and the one who charges Caden to kill the parent, who is later revealed to be the voice of reason, trying to usurp the malicious captain. As the novel begins to close, though, a brief flashback shows who the captain really represents. A homeless man eating Captain Crunch, who had a significant impact on both Caden Caden, and his family, and this fits his description, and I, frankly, interpreted him to be Caden's illness himself, the one driving him towards the deepest point on earth. Caden describes him as, quote, his eye is bright and alert, and it seems to peer deeper than eyes usually do. I know that means he's off, maybe worse than off, but I can't help but to also notice the color of his eye isn't all that different from my own. Here, Caden is indicating that there is something intrinsic that connects him to the captain. It can be viewed as the manifestation of the illness which ties Caden down and all of the other passengers on the ship, who are also hospital patients in the real world. The connection they share goes beyond eye contact and stems further as the captain reveals a dire warning about the subway, a very important motif. Earlier in the novel, Caden describes his condition as that there's a subway-like bubble of isolation around him. And then the captain says, good you're taking a taxi instead of the subway, the captain says to us, but it's me he's looking at with his one good eye. Subway's bad this time of day, he says. It's forever down there. The captain's warning shown in this flashback is yet another example of the fate that Caden supposes he will face and which later affects him. The captain seems to be bitter enemies with the parrot, who is literally that surprising enough. The parent supports the captain in the beginning of the book, but begins to conspire against him, attempting to convince Caden to kill the captain. Caden dances between the two, unsure of what to do. Meanwhile in the hospital, Caden struggles between taking the advice of his doctor, the parrot's counterpart, Dr. Poirot, and his illness, as his illness continues to take control over his life. And when I finally made this connection, I realized that the parrot, rather than being the sly villain who wants to steer the ship off course, does want to do so, but truly has Caden's best interests at heart. Caden doesn't always realize this. After the suicide of the navigator, Caden murders the parrot and severs his relationship with his doctor until he is in his lowest moment. It is only then, when Caden is at at the peak of his nightmare, that the parrot returns to truly save him. This brings up a major element of the plot, the climax, and that is the bottom of the trench and the scenes that surround it. The abyssal serpent, also represents Caden's illness, creates a whirlpool which literally pulls Caden to the bottom of the trench where he finds the quote riches that are supposedly there. This is where the parrot returns and the book's climax occurs. These riches aren't riches at all. They represent the false promise of joy and hope at the deepest point of mental illness, the point that everyone seeks and it is only when the parrot tells him that the answer is, quote, right in his back pocket, does Caden escape. This is the very moment when the two plots truly harmonize, as Caden pulls out a puzzle piece given to him as a promise of peace by one of his fellow patients in the hospital. This piece of the sky, and the advice of the parrot, pulls him from the depths and reminds him of the reality which is occurring beyond the hallucinations he is experiencing. It is important to note that this only occurs because Caden chooses to start cheeking his medications and stop taking them. He describes the new feeling as a few days of bliss as the medication wears off before he's plunged into the depths again. This is a prominent example of survivorship, Caden escaping his illness. Well not escaping his illness, but finally realizing how he can escape the delusions that he's been suffering from, being the reward of education, AKA Caden's experimentation by not taking his medications. His education about his mental state enabled him to emerge from the depths intact and improving. It's only when Caden starts cheeking his meds that he becomes lucid enough to actually realize what's going on, and to actually realize what is reality and what is a figment of his imagination. This puzzle piece is certainly worth mentioning, as it is what truly pulls Caden out of the trench. It was given to him by Sky, another girl who was living at the hospital and was suffering from severe mental illness. Quote, I look to my right hand that holds the coin and my left hand that holds the promise of Sky." I know I have been a victim of many things beyond my control, but in this moment, this place, here is something I have the power to choose. I drop the, the doubloon, close my fingers around the puzzle piece, and thrust my f- fist upward, offering completion to the distant sky. This completion of the sky symbolizes Cadence's completion as he finally regains full control of his mind and escapes the delusions that have plagued him. In terms of Caden's growth and his change in attitude, I feel that Callie is the most significant character. Her maritime counterpart is the ship's figurehead, named Callope. She describes herself as a girl on a pedestal, relating herself to the Statue of Liberty, a statue notably made of copper. She is an intrinsic part of the ship, up until Caden quite literally releases her. During a violent storm, Caden frees Calliope by wrenching back the bolts that hold her to the ship. He puts his full weight on the wrench and the bolts begin to turn and Calliope drops into the seas below. But Caden is unable to truly comprehend what he sees as she begins to run on water. Quote, I look out through the hole to see that she has not sunk, but neither does she swim. Instead, she runs, her spirit lighter than air, lighter than the copper of her flesh, more willful than gravity. She runs on the surface of the waves. A single ray of sunlight pierces the clouds like a spotlight to follow her, and her corroded, oxidized shell peels away, revealing shining copper from head to toe. I want to cry for joy but a dark shape falls from the ship up above into the waves, then another, then another. The crest mares. In a moment, the sea is infested with them, racing like a cavalry charge toward a single shining figure in the distance. This directly mirrors Callie, the actual person, leaving the hospital. When she leaves, she's still suffering from mental illness, but has improved so she's able to re-enter the world again. But Caden knows that she will again struggle with mental illness, as all of the patients will. And he recognizes that she will need to continue to run on water to struggle with doing so, to stay afloat. But one of the biggest changes Caden goes through is his attitude toward Callie leaving. Prior to her escape, he even wished that she would stay ill so he could continue to see her and have her. Callie sparks one of the biggest changes in Caden's attitude towards growth and improvement because he asks her if she's getting close to leaving, quote, selfishly wanting her to say no. And he makes this transition from wanting her to stay with him, to stay ill, to hoping that her life takes her far away from anything that reminds her of this place. And if that means taking her far away from me, I can accept that. She walked on water rather than drowned. That's enough for me. The biggest thing Caden fears is not truly living. Because the fear of not living is, quote, a deep abiding dread of watching your own potential decompose into irredeemable disappointment when should be gets crushed by what is. Not living is the worst thing that Caden can imagine. And this ties in directly to the theme that you can only survive if you've been educated. And that doesn't mean a traditional education. That means living. This novel is about living. It's about experiencing and it's about surviving. And education and truly living your life is the means by which people survive. It is the means by which Caden survived his ordeal. In the trench. This is another phenomenal example of an experience or a character motivating Caden to grow and I believe this shift contributed very much to his recovery because it allowed him to let go of the darkness that held him so tight when he saw someone else doing the same thing. One thing that immediately popped into my head when I was reading this novel is the way that mentally ill children are treated by society as a whole, and treated particularly by school. Caden doesn't receive much support from his teachers, it's mostly just intervention when his grades are subpar, and I have to admit that that's something that I definitely resonate with. When I read this novel, one thing I could not stop thinking about was the style and how much I loved it and how well I think it contributed to the overall message and the intention of Schusterman. So initially, nothing made sense. Keaton Bosch's mental illness is not explained outright, and the descent into almost madness is so slow and so well-crafted that it really did sneak up on me. The novel itself is written rather simply, but the true concepts flew right over my head in the beginning. It effectively showed the horrifying descent into madness that Caden experiences. The changes were so slight, like a decline in quality of one's artwork, you know, smaller illnesses but still physical illnesses, and detachment from friends showed the minute changes leading into depressive and schizophrenic episodes. And honestly, it made me really emotional at times because I know that I've experienced some of the same things that Caden has, at least to some extent. I felt that I'm drifting away from my friends and family and I've lost appetite and I've lost sleep and I've felt physically ill because my mental health was truly suffering. Tristerman also introduces anecdotes of descent, really early early on. One early anecdote that relates to descent, and one that really stuck out to me, was the kid in the well. A kid who is running and playing, accidentally falls into a deep, deep well, and a man with, quote, no discernible shoulders has to come out and save him. If the kid is lucky, he makes it out alive and is reunited with his family. But if not, he dies in the well and the Tale ends tragically. It really stuck out how Caden began to relate to this and went so far as to say that he was the one in the well, 100 feet deep, screaming that he couldn't get out. Schusterman uses many of these anecdotes to allude to this descent, but I also really enjoyed the different degrees of complexity within the novel. You know, a lot of the novel was very straightforward, very simple diction and syntax designed to be said or written by a 15 year old and as a 16 year old that was very appealing and very easy to read but at certain times in the novel everything suddenly became elevated allowing him to very beautifully convey these complex concepts these complex feelings that Caden was experiencing and it was so so good to read because that shift was so beautifully done and really helped me visualize Caden's growth as a character as he went through this traumatic experience. And Schusterman's experience with mental illness undoubtedly shaped this novel. His son, Brendan, was diagnosed with schizophrenia prior to this novel being written. And although it is not written about his son, Brendan, this experience undoubtedly shaped his perception and gave him firsthand knowledge of what living with someone with schizophrenia is like and what it is like to experience this illness. Schustelman himself was born in 1962 in Brooklyn, New York. When he was a teenager, he was exposed to many different cultures and peoples when he moved to Mexico with his family, where he finished high school. He's written countless novels and short stories and briefly wrote for film. He's received numerous awards for his work, particularly Challenger Deep, and with good reason. Challenger Deep is a beautifully written novel that I loved to read, and I'm grateful that I did read it. The narrative was compelling and made me more emotional than I care to admit.